It's clear from that audio clip that given Georgetown's recent success, it has to be due to the fact that Alonzo Mourning absolutely has a burner phone. I mean, honestly, given the nepotism of Georgetown, that's not surprising. Absolutely true. I mean, you look at it, and he's breaking out a flip phone at the Georgetown-Campbell game. And obviously, the the brilliant uh, broadcasting duo that includes John Fonta, the John Fonta of Big East, was able to spot that. They called him out for it during the Georgetown Campbell. Well, I don't know. Podcast. Uh, not podcast. He is like the, he's like the strangest looking dude I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I know. He is, it's brutal. Like the short, the the face, the like glasses, you, you the think, haircut. You think you're ugly, and then you know you see him, and you feel a little better. Oh yeah, it's just like those people. You gotta you gotta say thank you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But with that, we want to welcome our viewers back to the second episode of. DC's take five, and shockingly, our innovation was able to stump our incompetence, and we do have a name now. It's amazing, man. Uh, The way that we envisioned the podcast going is very similar to what we did on our first episode, where we give a recap of all things Georgetown basketball. Um, In this case, it'll be since uh, they went down to Montego Bay, Jamaica, to play in the Jamaica Classic. Um, And the episodes we hopefully... Uh, are envisioned and and highlighted by five flaming hot takes about what we would do if we were in Coach Ewing's position. Yep, couldn't agree more. Hopefully, we'll be able to get some player and coach interviews in the future. We're working with Sports Information in Georgetown to lock that down. Yep. Hopefully, that will be coming up next weekend. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, Knock on the wood table we have here. So for all of uh, you eight viewers out there, keep giving us those (laughs) five-star reviews and... Uh, running through the episodes. We appreciate all the support. Absolutely. Much love to everyone there. Um, big stuff, though. We're finally verified on iTunes. Yeah. And let me tell you something. Mama, I made it. <laughs> DC's take five. Taking over Washington, D.C. Yeah, you know what? We're the first result when I search D.C.'s take five. Are you serious? The search result, yeah. That's huge. I know. It's us and, like, two other podcasts. But, you know, it's yeah. whatever. Yeah, you know. No one really has that kind of name. but <laughs> And nobody has our art photo. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Let us know what you think about that, too. Uh, we, we're trying to embody both sides of being a Georgetown fan. Yep. Dan, you know, Dan with the passion, me with the cautious uh, optimism. Cautious optimism, annoyance, doubt. <laughs> Fear, anxiety. It's a, it's a roller coaster. Couldn't agree with that more. But with that being said, you ready to start off, Carter? Let's do it. Let's go. Are we really going to stick with this for the whole podcast as our intro? I think it really embodies with Georgetown basketball. Shut the fuck up! This song sucks. How how many views does it have on YouTube? Wait, let me check that out. Uh, According to our stats and information department, (laughs) the Welcome to DC video on YouTube has only 1,500 views. Oh my god, that's 1,500 too many. (laughs) (laughs) 
You think so? Yeah, honestly. We're responsible for two of those, though. Honestly, we, we are, them a little bit more than two. We are part of the problem. I will say, speak for yourself, man. I don't, I don't like to give myself pain. The, the 1,498 have come from uh, the Georgetown basketball game. Being <laughs> before each half. Yeah, and no, honestly, fingers crossed that they, uh, they stick with sicko mode. Yeah, it's been pretty decent. Um, the fan turnout, what have you... Uh, let's start with that. Yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. talking about the song. One thing that we've noticed, and you can talk to anybody who really goes to Georgetown basketball games... It's been difficult to get consistent fan turnout yeah. at the Capital One Arena. What has been your takeaway from the games that you've been to this year regarding the Georgetown fan turnout? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I agree with what you say. I don't think it's been, um, you know, what necessarily the fans and, and players and even the staff have expected so far. Um, you know, partially because of, like, the unknown aspects of our team, you know, just outside of, like, you know, all the white girls who know who Mac McClung is and, like, the real fans that know about, you know, the actual recruits and the players and everything. Um, there isn't a lot of casual interest in the team right now, which I think is where most of the fandom comes from. Because one of the things about, you know, going to... I mean, we're not even a basket, basketball school now. We're a, we're a soccer school. Um, shout out to the women's team. Um, Unfortunately, it's just, they were unable to take down UNC yesterday. They lost a hard oh, break from double overtime. Really? Oh, shit. It, it, that was, was, it was brutal. That it was, was in brutal. such poor taste then. Uh, <laughs> okay. That was a good heart. Um, yeah, good yeah, it's all love. Um, you they're, still our, they're still our best sports team. Yeah, so. they are. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, also combined with the fact that we're not really playing a lot of nationally known teams... It's like, you know, there's not a lot of motivation to go out of your way to the Capital One Arena to watch. But hopefully, as the team gets better and, like, as we get into conference play, I, I do think things will start to pick up a lot. I think what could be huge, and this will be a turning point, especially if it can, I think beating Syracuse is critical. Mm. If this team can go into the Carrier Dome yeah. and have a statement win over our old arch nemesis, I think that will speak volumes to the fans because even last year when... Everybody knew we weren't really good. Good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's put it. Yeah, they, they, they we packed the Capitol we did. Arena we were a worse and we had played worse teams up until then. And I mean, I would say we're a, maybe a less talented team mm-hmm. um, than we are now. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the road teams run won each of those last two matchups. So yeah. Granted, we should have won last year. Yeah, we should have won. That that's that's another thing. The, uh, yeah. Stretch. Yeah, we'll, 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 get, we'll break down Syracuse a little bit later. Yeah, that's probably our next episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, I think it's a good place to start is the Jamaica Classic, and you know how for part of it we played like you know a bum ass team on. <laughs> hey, according to the NET uh, NCAA rankings, Loyola Marymount, the Lions, they're a top team ten, top ten uh, team in the country. Carter, what? What? Have you never heard of those? No. Oh, What's so the NET rankings? So the, the NCAA, actually, this year is the first year they've done this. They're releasing right now. these rankings called the NCAA NET, which kind of, like, tries to give fans an idea of what they're thinking for, like, you know, top seeds and whatever. Really? It was, oh. it was the wackest thing I've ever seen. Let's see what we got. Because Ohio State was one. Not Duke, Gonzaga, or Kansas. And Loyola Marymount was 10th. Bro, what is Belmont doing at 9th? And uh, Nebraska at 8th? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? It just became a huge meme on Twitter. Yeah, okay, that'll that'll do that. We were 76, I think. Oh, okay. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> I, uh, I would actually agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, wow, that's crazy. Oh, in that case, this is going to look like a great loss then. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Let's talk about the game a little bit, though. Yeah, in we started out the game, and you could tell that we were a little bit off. Our offense was struggling really to get its feet off the ground for most of the first mm-hmm. half because we were having difficulties separating from the Lions. We were only up by five at halftime, yeah. 26-21. But then the second half was the arrival of James Bateman and the entire disappearance of any type of rhythm, cohesion, communication, yeah. confidence from our offense. We ended up getting outscored by 18 points in the second half, yeah, 65-52. It's so pathetic to see like us lose by double figures when both teams shoot under 35% from the field. And, I mean, especially given that we were out-rebounded by 12, and, like, you know, Jesse had 20, but he shot 5 of 14 from the field. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just such a gross game. I remember we were watching that right before we were going to go out, and we were like, oh, boy, drinking's starting a little early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when you look at, like, some of the main reasons that we did lose, you can look at the turnovers, right? You can look at the turnovers on our side. James had six. Yeah. Every single starter had at least one, but... We actually won the turnover battle. We had 15, and they had 17. We had a higher field goal percentage than them. It's just that we we went 3 of 19 from 3, but they went 5 of 20. It was just that our offense was in such out of rhythm. Yeah, We had no semblance. We were playing iso ball. Nobody had confidence in any of their teammates. It was a brutal game to watch. I know. I know. It's tough. That's what you hate to see, especially out of a team that... Um, whose best player isn't really ball dominant, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's... I don't know why we didn't feed Jesse earlier. I mean, I, I feel like, especially given, looking now, Bateman was 13 of 13 from the line. Like, I think another big part of the reason we lost was that our interior defense was just super porous. I agree with that. And one thing, that, like, the emergence of James Bateman and our inability to guard him is has actually been the first step of a common thematic disconcerting, like, I would say disconcerting, actually, I would say concerning theme that Georgetown has actually been facing the past couple of games, and Hmm. not being able to guard short, ball-dominant point guards. Yeah. On the perimeter and on the inside. But maybe not even short, but just quick. Because I think what I've seen a lot, I saw this a lot against uh, Richmond, which we'll get to eventually, but, um, like, Jesse and Trey right now, they're not quick. And then James is small. So mm-hmm. if there's like a 6-3 guard that's kind of quick, they can just power their way past James, and then if they get, you know, if the help comes up, mm-hmm. um, neither of them are great rim protectors either. So they either they either foul, they yeah. contest and they make the shot, or they just get beat off the dribble. Mm. Like, it's not good. Yeah, you saw that. You saw the guards definitely struggle against Jake Wojak against Richmond. Oh, yeah. And he's 6-4, much bigger than Bateman or... Um, Chris Clemens on uh, Campbell. Oh, my Bateman's God, Bateman's only yeah. 6'1", and yeah. Campbell's only about 5'10". Yeah, Clemens about 5'9", I think. Yes. He freaking threw down a lob, too. That was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's wicked athletic. But I know. I think the main takeaway for the Loyola Marymount game in the 13-point loss was that it was a growth game. and Well, he, we, we even talked about this mm-hmm. after uh, in our first episode on the heels of the Illinois victory. Yeah. And, you know, not to take any credit, but, you know, credit has to be, credit has to go where credit is due, credit to me. I tweeted out a preview of this game, and, you know, words of the wise, every single word of my two tweets that I previewed out came true. I said this was a trap game for the Hoyas, especially with two 
Two starting freshmen, a younger team coming off a marquee road victory. Mm-hmm. It's honestly a little sad that Illinois is a marquee road victory. I but know, man. It's the biggest win in What's the year. What's their record now? They're like two and five. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, they've had a lot of tough road losses, a lot of tough uh, neutral court losses. They've looked good, but them losing to us really set the tone for their season. Yeah, dude. They, yeah, they lost Notre Dame, Xavier. They got mm-hmm. blown out by Iowa State. I don't even know if they're good this year. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, Iowa State's very mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. Should have come to Georgetown, Iowa. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, as much as we like to say we also take credit, who knows, maybe we've spoken into existence. Maybe, yeah, but <laughs> honestly, I'd rather have... A like a letdown game like that earlier in the season yeah. rather than later. Yeah, I'm always of the belief finish strong. If you're gonna screw up, get it out of the way early. Yeah, yeah. This was a neutral court, so it's not like we lost them at home. Um, and it's I mean, natural. it was it was practically a home game. Yeah, if it's we're natural. Being honest. Um, it was. Yeah, there were like so many Ewing fans there. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm sure, his whole from Jamaica. Yeah, his family was there. Yeah. So it must have been nice for Big Pat to go home for a bit. But yeah, I know. The biggest concern, Maybe he said it. He said it was a business trip, and the Hoyas didn't really take care of business. They were favored to win. Yeah, they didn't. Uh, I think the most concerning part about the loss, though, at the time, was whether or not they could get their problems fixed by the next game. Yeah. Was against South Florida. And yeah. It was really clear they didn't. No. We got really lucky winning that game. We totally didn't deserve to. No. And... It looked like we did early on. We jumped out to an early 19-9 lead. Yeah. With about 10 minutes left in the first half. But at that point, we really lacked a knockout punch. And we immediately let them not only get back in the game, but put us on the ropes. Like, midway through the second half. We were down by about 9 to 10 points with about 10 minutes left. Yeah. And that was when it became the Jesse Govan show. Yeah, man. I thought we were going to lose that. And then... Jesse probably got like eight touches in a row, mm-hmm. scored on pretty much all of them. He was unstoppable. And yeah. really, he kept us afloat until the last few minutes. He did. And you and I were talking about it when the game was seemingly getting out of our hands. Jesse, we were saying that Jesse needed to put aside the fact that he doesn't necessarily want to disrupt the offensive flow, I guess. His personality, yeah. in a sense. And he needed to become the guy every yeah. single possession yeah. until SFU literally forces Georgetown otherwise. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. I mean, he had himself a hell of a game. About 40 minutes played, 10 of 19 from the yeah. field. I was very impressed with the 40 yeah. minutes. And he didn't, I mean... 27 points? We already talked about, usually, I think for bigs, you know, fatigue shows more on their defense than anything. And he was, he was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But... One of the big things we do have to talk about is James Akinjo had arguably one of his worst games as a Hoya. Oh, yeah. This game, six turnovers, really struggled with ball security yeah. and running and the offense. defense. The dude, yeah. uh, this dude, David Collins, mm-hmm. torched him. Yeah, absolutely. I actually remember that. Yeah, Collins. We had no idea who this guy was, too. He's a freshman. He honestly might be someone to look out for as you know, possibly someone who can transfer mm-hmm. after his freshman year or might. Um, but yeah, he had 21, 4 or 5 from 3. Like, he was hitting crazy, like, and ones, reverse shots. Mm-hmm. It was insane. And most of that was over the top of James or, you know, when he switched to the two guard um, over, like, Jagan or. Uh, I think Mac was, yeah, Mac was benched that game. Yeah, he did. Mac got benched in the uh, second half. And yeah, his Ewing, defense was bad. Yeah, Ewing really opted to roll with Javon in that 
game over yeah. really many players. Well, he chose Javon over Jay. Yeah, it was interesting. And Greg. Yeah. Yeah, he played 30 minutes and went 1 of 6. Yeah, but Javon was really used down the stretch for his defense on That's David true. Collins. Yeah. And he did a much better job, especially since, since Javon is six foot three. Yeah. He was able to match up a little bit more height and weight wise than James could. And you can definitely see with James's perimeter defense that he is struggling with the fact that he has to guard just guys who are taller and more physically gifted than he is. And yeah. it's definitely showing in our perimeter defense, especially guarding the three. Yeah, early you, on you in can the season. even see with his fouls. I mean, he only had two against USF, but um, being so small, he relies a lot on like his ability to strip people mm-hmm. from behind. And, you know, one of the things I didn't like so much when I was watching tape on him after he committed here was that he got away with a lot of hand checks and a lot of just ticky-tack fouls that I knew wouldn't call. And that's what most of his fouls are. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not shooting fouls. He create, he's great at contesting shots, but they're just they're stupid reaches. Yeah, and that's something that he's just going to have to gain more awareness of. And, and trust, always, I think, yeah. too. Trust trust himself because a lot of times he'll whip down at the ball, especially if someone's driving past him, and that's his help defense. Yeah, he'll rely on his hand quickness to try to poke the ball away, mm. but he's doing it a little bit too aggressively. Rather than come down, he's gonna have to shuffle his feet a little bit and try to create a little bit more uncomfort or discomfort yeah, for yeah. Uh, the person driving in with his presence rather than reaching but in. Just, the ref's never gonna give him that. No, and never. And that's something Ewing's going to have to continually work with him before Biggie's play. Because yeah. when Biggie's play comes, we're going to need him on the court. Yeah. Um, but yeah. for everything that we're saying negatively at the moment for James, one thing that we do have to like speak about is the kid lives for big moments. He's got quite the sack. Yeah. <laughs> pause, pause, pause. Sorry. I was going to say yeah. ice in his veins. Yeah. <laughs> that's another way of putting it, I guess. Yeah, that is another way of putting it. Yeah. Um, well, let's go with ice in his veins. Yeah, but before I, I get some with there, there was about 13 seconds left, right, in this game. Well, let's not. Well, before we even get there, the mm-hmm. shot. Remember that floater he hit off the glass. Yes. Uh, to put us up by one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He did. He. Uh, he definitely. He lives for the big moments. They really don't face him at all, and that's something you get with a player who really doesn't show much emotion on the court. Mm-hmm. It's very much like. It's a give and take between fire and ice. Mm-hmm. It really is. As you know, I'm more of a person who lives by the fire, lives yeah. by the flame. Yeah. Um, and that can certainly rally your teammates, but when you need someone to come up in the clutch with a huge play, it's you almost more want that icy, cool, like, I'm not phased by anything. I want the ball. I'm going to make this in your face, and, and I, I expect to. Yeah. It's something that just he's experienced. He's almost like willing it into existence. In a yeah, way. that's a really good way to think about it, especially if you get psychological. Like, that's why a lot of um, you know people say like, "Oh my god!" Especially in the NBA, it's like, "Oh my god, LeBron is so good," but like, I'd rather have Kobe take the last shot of a game or like Jordan take the last shot of a game. It's because you you need a little bit of a killer in you. And LeBron's a killer. Like, trust me, he's my favorite player. But like, if you compare you know James to Jesse. Mm-hmm. Like, James is a killer, dude. Yeah. That shot he hit, I didn't mean to cut you off before, but that was a fucking dagger. Yeah. And that was such a smart play, too, because he saw, he called for the screen. I always get trapped by this in pickup. Someone calls for the screen, the defender, the defender. I think he called for, like, a right-handed screen. I don't know. But uh, the defender looks for half a second, and then he just pulls up. 
<laughs> like he was just like he was like trying to run the play because he was dribbling for like five seconds and then he was like fuck this I just, <laughs> yeah. I just knocked it down yeah I remember what you're talking about that shot definitely gets overlooked because Georgetown was unable to you know maintain that lead down the stretch they gave it back up yeah right yeah. well that was well that was to tie the game oh yeah because that was because right. he had the floater and then Collins had the and one on Jesse it was mm-hmm. so it was dumb yes and, but then he hit that to send it to overtime yeah but the one thing I do want to talk about before um we really died like obviously James hit that huge shot yeah um pulled up a little bit uh, from beyond the arc and just nailed it um but one thing that is concerning was the lack of movement that we had on that play when you have 13 seconds left in a game, you call a timeout, and you're coaching obviously you're not just telling them, alright, James you're going to dribble the ball at the court, everyone's going to stand still for 10 seconds <laughs> James, you're going to take a contested three we're going to pray that it goes in Yeah. I hope he didn't say that yeah, that's... and I think I know that he didn't say that but yeah. that's what they did uh... they, every single player was standing around, yeah. staring at James I mean, I, I don't see why he wouldn't run like a floppy. He loves those floppy plays to oh, the corner. And he yeah. had Javon and Jamarco in. I mean, granted, I'd much rather have James take the shot than either of them. But, mm-hmm. like, the fact that they waited till there were, like, five seconds left to even, like, send Jesse up to set the screen made no sense to me. Yeah. And, and James didn't even really use it either. No, he didn't. I mean, uh, I think because he realized if he tried to run the play, it'd be a rush shot. Yeah, but, one of the, uh, I forget who it was. It might have been Collins or it could have been um, Lang sagged. Briefly, oh, it was off, Lang. It was, it was Lang. Lang. Yeah, sagged briefly off of Akinjo, and James was like, "That's all I need." Yeah, and yeah. one thing that can be said about James was, you could tell in Jamaica that he was still struggling with the range of his shot. Yeah, like his range kind of extended to like maybe a foot or two inside the three-point arc, and then mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. having difficulty consistently yeah. extending that beyond. The three line. Yeah, he's got a low arcing shot too. So being short, like it's it's tough for him to get a good look when he's contested. Um, it's almost like weird, you know. Sometimes I trust people to make a shot more so when they're when it's far away, but they're uncontested rather than like a shorter shot that's contested. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen since, to be honest, his three balls looked a lot better. There's like more arc on it. He's using his legs more for sure. Um, the legs are critical. Yeah, people don't really know. Like, don't sleep that. on leg day, boys. Yeah, but. You need to get. You need to use your uh, thighs a little bit. Get up off the ground. Yeah. Elevate. It, it, st- it steadies you too. It steadies you, and it also maintains your form because you don't need to use as much of your arms. Yeah, so your arms don't get sore, and then yes. you don't end up like flinging it. Yeah, because yeah, if you can, like, the key to shooting is really your form. You have to maintain form. You have to have a strong follow through on your shot, yeah. and you ha- you you can't get rattled by anything. And being able to elevate over a defender yeah. is so crucial to your vision. On yeah. the shot as well too. Yeah, especially when you're short, you need that. Um, uh, yeah, and James know. obviously doesn't play as off the ground as Mac, uh, mm-hmm. so it's essential that he gets that kind of lift. Yeah, but you, like you like you were saying, I mean, against USF we lived by the ISO, um, and we died by the ISO against LMU. But I mean, I think we've gotten better at it since then. Since we got back from Jamaica, I mean, I'm sure Ewing railed everybody 
yes. even after our win. He seemed so unhappy in the pressers yeah. of each game. Yeah, he, he was he was upset, and he had every right to be upset. Granted, Coach Ewing isn't the type of coach that would be happy about many things. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen yeah. him happy, like, once, yeah. and that was uh, after the Illinois win. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the first time I think I've seen him smile in a yeah. press conference. It's, I mean, he's, he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. Um, he is, and he's holding himself to expectations, which is something that I can really respect. Yeah. He expects something out of himself, and he expects something out of these players. And when you set standards high, you know, shoot for the moon. But you know, even if you miss, you land in the stars. So yeah. you know, respect. I respect the hell out of yeah. him. Yeah. And you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. And quite frankly, the progression and the offensive development that Georgetown showed since its trip to Jamaica has been nothing short of marvelous. Yeah, it's been really good. Yeah, it's like when you look at the difference. Georgetown was struggling to score more than sixty points in Jamaica. Yeah. And they dropped. 90 points in back-to-back games since coming back against Campbell and Richmond. Oh, shit, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's crazy. 93 against yeah, Campbell I didn't even and see 90 against Richmond. Damn. I mean, in all fairness, I mean, yeah, even so, uh, Campbell and Richmond, too, haven't shot like crazy percentages from the field, and neither have we. I mean, we only shot, we shot 49 against Campbell and 50 against Richmond. Mm-hmm. And we shot 60 against Illinois and had 88. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you... And a lot of those you, you, came down at, like... Uh, Came kind of at the, at the line. Yeah, the I was going to say, what do, you, what do you think is the adjustment that's helping us be so much better on offense? Well, the first thing that you look at is turnovers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like that's like the main thing that you look at in the box score, and that's the thing that jumps out. Yeah. We're not turning the ball over double digits per game. So that's something that Ewing's been stressing to both James and Mac yeah. and Jake and, and all. Anyone who really runs the offense, bringing the ball to the court, yeah. even in... The post, to be honest. Yeah. Offensive fouls with Jesse and Trey. Trey, at the beginning of the season, had some trouble with ball security, but he's definitely gotten better. And Trey Morgan was really the star of the Campbell game. Yeah. Hit the cohesion and the rhythm between him and Govan down low because you could tell right off the bat that Campbell was terrified of Govan going off against them the way he did against South Florida. So he was facing doubles early on. And it was, let me tell you something. It was uh, it was feast week for uh, yeah. Trey Morning. He was hustling. He was making great basketball plays. His outside shot was falling, which hasn't been the case for most of the season. For his whole career. Yeah. <laughs> and he displayed fantastic vision yeah. in the post as well. Everything that Trey did, it was his first double-double of his Hoya career. And it was a monster double-double. Yeah. It wasn't no like little... You know, twelve and yeah, 11. low twelve and eleven type of game. Like he had twenty seven. Yeah, on like the, eight of 14, 10 of thirteen from the line. He even hit a three pointer. Right. Every time when Trey pulls up from three, I get upset. He I know. I still get mad, but <laughs> it's it's really impressive. And on your note on the turnovers, Jesse's. I mean, we said uh, through Illinois he had no turnovers, and he's only had four in the last four games. Mm-hmm. Like compared to, he's averaged one point eight turnovers his first three years, and he's averaging point six this year. I mean, That's like an insane improvement. Yeah. he's. I think he's being much more decisive. He is, and he, his basketball IQ has just drew, like linearly in, like developed and increased. Mm-hmm. Like When you look at how uncertain and raw Govan was when he first arrived on the hilltop to the player that he is now, like, he, 
thank goodness Ewing came here because the development that he worked with Jesse and Marcus, it's really fantastic to see. Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, I didn't know him as a freshman because that was, you know, when you were He was backing up Bradley Hayes. (laughs) Oh, God. That's all I need to know. Say no more. Um, Yeah, I mean, and then sophomore year, um, he was pretty good, but I didn't really follow him much because that was just like, you know, a very kerfuffle of a team. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think especially to given Mac and James are our primary ball handlers, it seems like things are slowing down for them now. It, they are. You can still see at times they play a little rushed, a little trying to force things upon mm-hmm. the game, but great point guards, and you can watch really any player in the NBA, a really good point guard, watch Chris Paul, something like that, Rajon Rondo. They let the Frank Nielakina. Frank Nielakina. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. The team actually reached out to the Knicks. I know the magic. The we magic. better not trade him, dude. No, I'd be no, so no, the, pissed. Yeah, you, you love little Frankie Smokes, baby. Dude, I mean, he hasn't scored in like the last week, but <laughs> he trusts me. He's he's a better complimentary piece. That It's just like when Porzingis comes back, everything's going to be right with the world. Man, I'm loving myself a little Alonzo Trier right now. Yeah. He, yeah. Talk about an absolute snag. I know, man. Did you know he was undrafted? Yeah, I followed him in college. <laughs> yeah, he was on the. Uh, I followed him throughout his uh, time in Arizona. He dealt a lot with uh, PED issues. Yeah, yeah, and, um, the, and Arizona is just kind of a shit show. Yeah, general. at the moment with Sean Miller, the whole pay for play scandal. There's a lot of stuff going on over there. And God, Georgetown doesn't have that kind of problem. Yeah, we're not good enough to have. That yeah, kind we don't. Of we don't. We don't even have the opportunity to pay for players. Dang. Who knows though? Alonzo could be calling in some favors. Yeah, <laughs> that's my James Bond. We'll see if we if we get yeah if we get Cole Anthony, I think we'll know why. Yeah, I was about to say Cole. And another note, Cole was at the Campbell game. Yeah, yeah, I saw on his Instagram. He he had the official visit. He looks really good in Hoya uh, Hoya colors. I'll Man, say that much. He is. He's something, Carter. He's fucking raw, dude. I almost don't want him to come though, because then one of James and Mac won't start. Yeah, and like, like I don't want him or, to come. Yeah, at he's the same that, time, he's got that cocky. What do he reminds me of? Yeah, Colin Sexton. Really? Yeah. Huh. More like attitude than play. Like when I remember there was one video when he was dribbling out a game and he was doing the goddamn high steps. Really? Showboating, man. He was dribbling, and he started working on his high legs. Like a rocket or something. Yeah, the rocket. Yeah. That's what it was. Damn. And I was like, God damn, that's brutal. So, yeah. you know, that's something where... That's kind of what reminds me of Sexton. He's got that, like, energy where he's like, I'm better than you, and I'm going to humiliate you while yeah. I beat you. Hey, I'm Which, with that, dude. Yeah, I mean, if it adds wins to the column, like, bring him in. But granted, you and I both know Ewing would stand for that shit. Yeah, Ewing, Ewing likes things to be understated. Yeah, you know? but yeah, on on uh, on a more pragmatic and less wishful note, and again, knock on wood, you know, you know, it's right for you to come here, Cole, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> I should just DM the link to him. Um, anyway, yeah, against Campbell and Richmond, I definitely think um, Mac and James showed a lot more poise. Yeah. Max played 55 minutes over the last two games, hasn't had a turnover. He's finally making threes. Like, oh man, I'm happy. He took one really brutal three against Richmond to start off the game. Oh, he fucking airballed yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. And on, on the broadcast, Mitch and I, Mitch is uh, my broadcasting partner, soon to be taken over by my buddy here, Carter Owen. Um, <laughs> but regardless, he um, airballed the three, and Mitch was like, yeah, 
That's definitely not the key to success. <laughs> <laughs> Forced magma clung three with threes. Yeah. But you can see he's beginning to recognize things a little bit more. Yeah. And he's working a lot more trying to get the ball down low. Yeah. He's he's become really good at that like kind of whip bounce yes. pass into the post. Sometimes it still doesn't work just due to the fact that he's a smaller guard. Yeah. And like opponents will be able to kick the ball out of bounds and prevent the entry pass. But his recognition and his understanding that our best offense is through the post right now, it, it, it's it's good development to yeah, see. It's really nice to see. I think especially you know with him too at the pace that he plays. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things I was worried about was would Ewing kind of temper his fire too much to the point where like he wants him to just be this composed score, you know, kind of keep everyone in like the mold of Jesse, right? Yeah. But I, I, I think he's finding a really good balance between channeling that energy in spurts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Where like he started one for eight against Richmond, and then early in the second half there was a stretch where he had like nine points in a row mm-hmm. on like with two threes, a fucking yeah. nasty Euro step, and then like free throws. Like yeah. he finally started getting fouled on his drives instead of, you know, going up with these wild, like, shots and stuff. And he actually got fouled a fair amount down the stretch towards the Rich- in the, in yeah. down the stretch of the Richmond game, and he showed boys. He made most of them. I think yeah. he went three for four. Um, no, he went, he went six. Oh, oh, with the... Down the stretch, yeah. Yeah, yeah, three for four. Mm-hmm. Um, he was six for eight for the game. Um, and, yeah, I think that was also because James was in foul trouble, which we had alluded to before. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it was really interesting and honestly very... Cool to see Mac be able to like run the team like that. I was happy for him because you know he had run the offense for Gate City. He was that dominant star, yeah, ball player, and it was something that you and I had spoken about. I think in the first podcast that James was going to be our primary ball handler. Yeah, but it was a very warming and almost comforting sight to yeah. see Mac yeah. in a pressure game. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily. Wasn't it, it wasn't even a blowout. Yeah, while I will say this. When I was calling the game, even when we were up by one early in the second half, it never felt like we were going to lose. We were just playing so well on offense that I just didn't. And the amount of threes that Richmond was hitting. It, oh, yeah. It, I mean, we can, wasn't going we to can talk about that. They're, um, who the hell? This, it's the Wojcik guy, yeah, right? Jake Wojcik. Yeah, he went six for 11 from three and seven, seven for 50. So all of his makes were threes pretty much. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Brother, they were hitting some long NBA range threes. Yeah. So I wasn't ever concerned that we weren't going to win the game. You know, like, law of averages, I'm fairly, I was fairly certain they were going to regress and start yeah. missing some of them, which they did. And I knew we made some slight adjustments, but none of them were, like, incredibly... They got lucky. Some They just missed some open shots at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Mac was able to come in, run the offense, occasionally through um, a full-court press with Greg and Jagan, and basically help work to create some separation. And we noted this on our broadcast, um, the lineup that really sparked our push to get separated was Mac at the point, Jagan, and Greg Malinowski on the wings, and Josh LeBlanc, who we haven't even really mentioned in this uh, podcast. Yeah, today, man. And Jesse down low. That was the lineup that gave us separation down the stretch of this game and allowed us to have some breathing room. Did you see the uh, picture I texted you a few days ago about the team's defensive rating? Um, yeah. It's insane. Um, for reference, Josh is, is a 91, and our second best defender is, uh, I think, uh, Javon. No, not Javon. It might be Jesse at 96. 
So Josh is like already our best uh, team defender by such a wide margin. And like he, he needs to, he's got to start. Yeah, he. I, yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later for our newest segment um, towards the end of the podcast. But we'll get there soon. Um, one thing I do want to talk about before we actually get to that segment is what in the name of God is happening to Jamarco Pickett? <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just a, um, yeah, it's, it's it's his coming out party of not doing anything. Yeah, um, I mean, he had a trip from hell. To Jamaica, when you look at it, against the LMU, he went over five from the field, over two from three, had five rebounds and assists, two turnovers, zero points, of course. Against <laughs> it's SFU, implied, yeah. <laughs> against South Florida, he went one for five from the field, zero for one from three, five boards and assists, three blocks and three turnovers and two points. Against Campbell, he only went two for five from the field with five points. Seven and, rebounds. Yeah, seven rebounds. Three turnovers. Um, and against uh, Richmond, he went. He only played 19 minutes. Went one for two, one rebound, one block, and three points. And you could tell in that game that Greg Malinowski has begun to gain more viewing's favor and yeah, trust. Yeah, we'll get to that too. But one of my interesting things is that Jamarco is slowly becoming the Swiss Army knife for our team. Because he's playing fewer minutes than last year, but his turnovers are cut in half, mm-hmm. his points are cut in half, but his rebounds are up, his blocks are doubled, his field goal percentage has gone from 36 to 42, his assists are up, he's shooting you know, much better from three. Like, I feel like it's gonna, in a weird way he's not going to be a big scorer for us, which is what we all thought at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that's actually an interesting way of putting it. I never looked at it that way. I've, I've been more thinking like, yeah, he was a huge part of our scoring offense last year. Obviously, unanimously making Big East all freshman with Javon, and those two were like the key to us playing well last yeah. year. And now yeah. they're just not. They're like X well, it's, years more. Over. I I think it's. I mean, in all fairness, I think that's just how it goes when you have two better players. Yeah. I mean, it. it you know, like Ewing's not just going to give Jamarco more shots just because he's a sophomore now. Mm-hmm. Like I think, especially Ewing, he's really hard on Jamarco. Yes, like yeah. you know, he's never really been. I, I think because he knows how good he can be and that he has to push him a lot. But it's interesting to see that um, you, you know, like he's sticking to his word. Like he's not just you know, Jamarco just isn't earning minutes just because he's like you know expected to be good. Um, yeah, which really actually shows me something about how fucking how much you know of a dog mentality Mac and James have that they're getting the opportunities as freshmen and Jamarco isn't as a sophomore. Yeah, and look, and the thing is, you got to respect with Ewing is that he doesn't care how old you are. If he thinks you earn the right to play, you're playing. Yeah. Caleb Johnson has started close to his entire no, yeah. time here. Oh, in yeah. yeah. And he's barely seen the court He's now. played like eight minutes all year. Yeah, like, I feel bad for the guy because he's a great person. He's a fantastic leader, a good defender, but it's, it's just not cutting anymore. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm fucking here for it, man. So am I, yeah. I respect the hell out of it out of coach. He's not... He's not screwing around this year. He knows that this is the year where George, if Georgetown can make a little bit of a leap into the tournament, it's gonna make he's gonna pay dividends yeah, for recruiting. Yeah, yeah, especially for recruiting. You I mean, know, I don't know recruits that he can't like not only can he coach big men, but he can bring a team together that doesn't have great expectations yeah. and rally them to overachieve. Yeah, led by led by, led by two freshman guards. Yeah. Like especially now a lot not of people. Only freshman like, guards, Undersized, under <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, so many people have um, 
the the mindset now that college is just a conduit to uh to the MBA, mm-hmm. right? And and a lot of people I think are often uh, either you know you see the trends increasing a little bit now that they're rejecting these blue blood schools mm-hmm. like you know the Kentuckys, the Dukes, and stuff to go to a place where they can be the man and show off what they can do. You know, you see Trey Young did it at Oklahoma two years ago, yep. and this year, I mean, I don't really know who that is as much. Uh, it'll, you know, become more obvious in a little bit. It's also, yeah, I mean... So I think, you know, the fact that if you can see two freshmen come up and, like, become our real leaders, especially by Big East play, that's going to, you know, especially for guards, like, that's what they want. Like, guards, I mean, any guard wants to, you know, be the man. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you think back to Colin Sexton. He went to Alabama. Oh, yeah. He went to Alabama. Like, he didn't care. I mean, Trey Young, a little bit, anywhere. little of that played into, uh, he's originally from. Yeah, he is. Oklahoma. He's from Norman. Yeah. But um, still, I mean, that's a, it's a big thing. But, uh, and like, think about it, Memphis. Memphis, James Wiseman. Oh, yeah. Memphis he just, he, commi- he committed like two, uh, a week ago. Right? Yeah, he chose Penny Hardaway. Yeah. I mean, he's also from Memphis and plays for Penny's uh, AAU team, I think. It's also but so crucial for a lot of young kids when you think about it. The relationship. The, the relationship and also the location. Like, some kids, a lot of times when you see kids travel across the country to go to a school, they get homesick. I mean, people yeah, forget right. that these kids are like also college students. Yeah. And like, they're freshmen, and we're talking about them here on the podcast as like, basketball players. But they're also dealing with all like the bullshit of college, you know, and just and time. just growing up, being away yeah. from home for the first time, and so people just a lot tend to forget and put a lot of pressure on these kids. And I think Coach K mentioned that in regards to his three freshmen, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish. He was like, "I'm getting sick and tired of the media hailing these kids as just unbeatable." He's like, "They're just 19 years old. Yeah. It's like you guys need to relax." Yeah. <laughs> That was such a good game against Gonzaga. I know yeah. we were texting back and forth. I remember about I had the money line and I had the spread. Right after this game, I'm going to get on uh, my site and start parlaying some college basketball games today. Adam boy. You know? Let's do it. I think Gonzaga's got a game at Creighton today, actually. Yeah. A little Big East versus WCC matchup. Damn. Damn. Creighton's a, Creighton actually had a nice win this year against... Um, Forget the team. They did beat a uh, solid team. Like, really? Yeah, I think Villanova will probably hop back into the rankings after beating uh, FSU as well um, on a neutral court. Yeah. To win their like Beast Fest. Uh, DePaul is still the best team in the Big East, though, as we all oh, expected. Of course. Yeah. You know. We're actually, just, it's, it's gonna. They're gonna become. Watch them out. Like, actually, be good this year. That. Oh, hilarious. bro. Actually, no. The best team in uh, every single Big East team has a loss, except. Do you know what team? Paul. No, it's Paul lost. Oh, what? Yeah. Dude, who they, took da- who took down Goliath? I know. <laughs> Notre Dame. They lost at Notre Dame by twenty five points. Oh god. <laughs> well, fuck. All right, never mind. They beat. It Penn was fun State. while it lasted, boys. They beat Penn State by two. Wow. Which is okay. A good win. Penn yeah. State's not awful. Yeah, I know. Guess what team's still undefeated? St. John's. Yep. Guess who's the number two? Us. Yep. Us and Creighton. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. Creighton I, actually beat Clemson at home. Yeah, by uh, you know. five points. They lost at Ohio. They lost at home against Ohio State by nine. Man. Now they have Gonzaga, the number one team in the nation, at home today. Yeah, I see that. That's gonna be a good game. It should um, be. You, you know what feels weird to me, or actually feels really good to me? Um, our six and one. It feels like a legit six and one. Oh, it does. You know, like, and I feel like the team is. 
a fair amount better than the first game of the than they were the first game of the season. Oh, I entirely. Whereas last year, it's like we were just kind of on autopilot until the Syracuse game. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like the growth is really happening. Yeah, and I don't I don't think that's something we're just pulling out of our asses either. No, it's not. And it, there's so much people. People always talk about the stats and stuff, but the feel of a team is so important in like their rhythm with one another and mm-hmm. their organic chemistry. Even though we're playing mid-major teams and our did our loss did come against LMU, you can see definitive signs of progress mm-hmm. among our players against competition where you do want to be developing. You know, yeah. So I think it's important that we are seeing signs of progress, progress, growth, confidence. Etc. And I saw one tweet actually. Someone tweeted out, "Oh, like the lack of energy I've seen from this Georgetown team. Um, or the lack of energy I've seen from this Georgetown team coming out of the tunnel since, or ever since our game from uh, Illinois is just dead. It's becoming incredibly concerning for me." See, I don't really know if I agree with that. I thought it was a little whack. Yeah, um, you should have replied. Yeah. Um, can, you, can you take a guess as to who tweeted it? Former Ohio sports guy? Aiden Curry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, say no more. Yeah, he tweeted that. Um, I mean, listen, we didn't have an incredible showing against Richmond. Yeah, didn't Ewing say, Ewing said we played terribly, which yeah. I think is a little bit of an overstatement. But I do too, but let me tell you something. When you guard the three-point line as poorly as we did that Yeah, game, that was the one thing I wanted to bring up. We can't, we're not going to beat a team like Syracuse at the Carrier Dome if we play defense the way we did in that Yeah, game. man, it's tough because it's, that's, I mean, we'll, this will be a good reason for, for one of my takes when I get into it, but like we got to have more quickness on the, it's like our quick players aren't big and our big players aren't quick. Yeah. So it's like, fuck, <laughs> so it's like, fuck, we're right in the middle with everything. So that hurts, you know, our ability to run out and contest shots. And Richmond, especially, had amazing ball movement. Like, they, you know, were a functional Princeton offense, with, which, you know, we know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was like they were just kind of whipping it around and just waiting for one of us to miss a rotation. That was pretty much what it is. They used the whole shot clock most of the time. Um, and even against Campbell... Um, you know, Clemens had nine of their 15 threes, but, you know, two players went nine of 19 and three of six from three. Like, which you can't, like, I, I just, I mean, Clemens is fucking raw, but he's also 5'9". Yeah. Like, I don't know how he's just pulling up over James and Mac and knocking him down. The kid's a stud. I mean, yeah. all he can do is say respect with a two, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Some of the shots he was making, I would have been like... I'm sorry, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> thank God for Trey Morning, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Never thought we'd say that, but thank God for Trey Morning. Facts. <laughs> Facts. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get into our uh, hot stuff segment? Nah, let's do it. I'm excited. You excited? I'm excited, yeah. So this segment is basically alluding to our title, DC's Take 5. Dan and Carter, DC, Washington, DC, Take 5. It's cute. Five main hot takes for every podcast. Mm-hmm. We actually didn't tell... Uh, we each came up with like two or three, and we didn't uh, we didn't tell each other. So yeah. this is gonna be fun. Just raw, <laughs> unexpected emotion. You ready? Let's do it. All right, let's get into it. You 
ready for some hot stuff? Yeah, I know, man. Nothing like a little disco to get me into it. Want to lead us off, Carter? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this is my first take. Um, I think that Greg should start. Really? Yeah. I really liked how he's played. Pretty much I happen since, to agree with that, pretty much, pretty much since the Illinois game. Uh, he's you know made a lot of right moves on defense. He's smart. He knows spacing really well. He's definitely our best shooter. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I think that um, he should start over Mac. Okay, that's where I disagree. All right, well, let me, let me tell you why. Okay. Um, Mac, I think, has obviously shown a lot of progress since mm-hmm. the beginning of the season. But the way he plays is honestly, I think, a little bit, like he and James have relatively redundant games. I okay. think that, you know, what they're both, both best at or what they both want to become best at as far as, like, NBA prospects and good college prospects are the same thing. So I would I would be curious about the experiment of having Mac run the second unit for a couple games, give him the ball in his hands as much as I think he deserves to have it, and see how well he can play against bench players. I think he could really tear it up, and it would honestly I think um, help him a lot. I see what you're saying. It's interesting though because if you bring Mac off the bench and you have your starting lineup be James Jamarco. Greg, uh, yeah, Trey. Yeah, Greg would start at the two there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then that makes you have three guards coming right off the bench in Mac, Jacob, and Javon. And it's interesting between the dynamic, we could roll out a very small lineup featuring, like, spreading out the floor with those three guys, littering the floor with shooters in and a you, sense. And then you have Josh and... Uh, a very ultra-athletic lineup in a yeah. weird sense. See, I was going to say you just flip Jamarco... And Greg. Jamarca. Yeah, I mean, that, that also makes sense, I think. I think you could do either. Um, I mostly think, like, with Jamarco's role kind of being a Swiss Army knife player, as you said, could be better found off the bench, in a sense, playing against second unit players, and that could help bring his confidence back up. Huh. Attacking, off, attacking like, off the wing, playing against players that aren't necessarily as good as him, yeah. getting his offensive confidence huh. back up. Um, but with Mac, though, like I think How? you could do either way. Mm. Um, like with McClung, obviously, like I think he would play well, and he showed the ability to run the point and his off-ball skills. He, you know, you can tell that it's not necessarily natural yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what his role is. Is James just is a better floor general player, yeah. floor general, better passer, better vision, better ball handling. I mean, James can dance on kids at times. Yeah, it is. Max handles pretty good though. It is, yeah. Definitely second best on the team. Yeah. Hey, hey, don't, don't, don't knock, uh, don't knock Caleb's handle. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, let's get into it again. We want Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think either one of those works to be honest. But regardless, I do think Greg's minutes need to go up. Yeah. And I don't think I think every time he's played, he's shown us different flashes of. Basketball IQ plays, smart plays, and unselfish plays. Every time he gets the ball where he doesn't have anything, he's looking to get it to Jesse Dunlow. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. And I think that's then, a wonderful thing. Yeah, then make a cut or, you know, rotate down to the corner mm-hmm. to get open. Like it might I think it's partially due to the fact that he didn't play last year, so Ewing probably didn't know what he had with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he also transferred before Ewing was hired. Yeah. 
So I think he's slowly seeing that Greg is, you know, like a really good addition to the team, yeah. which is why I think his minutes have been going up slowly but surely. Um, but I just, I wonder size-wise, if you have Mac, James, and Greg, Greg is only 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like playing him at the three is tough. It would be tough, yeah. And that's like the other problem of like, bringing Mac off the bench, like just a plethora of guards. Like coming off, like Max yeah. only six two, Jagan's only six three, Javon's six three. Yeah, Javon is a two though. Yeah, he is. That would be some rough ball handling though, honestly, between Mac and uh, Javon. I mean, I mean we already yeah, see. We've seen like uh, we've seen um, a lineup that features Jagan and Javon coming off the bench, and when Jagan handles the ball, I mean, like Jagan can be a steadying presence for the team, yeah, but he's yeah. not going to wow you. He's not going to make plays, but he probably won't turn it over. Yeah. So it's just, it's safe. Jagan's always looking for the safe play. Like, you'd have offense. to run the offense through Jesse there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which, yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. It's obviously up to Ewing, but... Yeah, um, and Ewing we trust. But regardless, Coach, listen to us. We're the oracles here. Yeah, yeah. We're one for one. Two for two already. Yeah. Please start Greg. Yeah. And... That, right. It doesn't really matter who. It's just yeah, start him. Just start him. He needs to see his minutes increase. He's smart. He knows what right. to do. This is what I've been... Uh, Waiting for. All right. All right, you ready? I don't think so. Let's hear, <laughs> Let's hear it. Trey Morning is the key to beating Syracuse. Offensively and defensively. I see it. I see it. Like, I know it's... I wouldn't have believed you before I saw how we played against Campbell, but... Yep, Trey Morning is the key offensively and defensively to beating Syracuse. Write it in blood! <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Flaming hot. Let's yeah. see. Explain yourself. Okay. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about his offense first. So, one thing that I've been noticing a lot with Trey is his vision has been fantastic mm-hmm. in the past two games. There was one play in particular where this one thing that Trey just loves doing is he'll get the ball a little bit on the left wing. And he'll take the ball in, he'll turn, and he'll dip his right shoulder and go right into the paint and force the defense to collapse. And Jesse will feel that slip underneath to the baseline. Mm-hmm. And when the defense kind of collapses upon him, he'll slip the ball right to Jesse on the baseline. And Jesse will go up and lay it in. But the key is, whenever Trey makes his move against defenders down low, his head is always Feeling the defense with his body, his body movements, but he's always looking for open teammates outside. So I think his vision is going to be crucial, especially trying to break down that 2-3 zone. You could either stick Trey in the high post, in my opinion, but granted, I think Jesse's a little more suited for the high post uh, position, quite frankly. But I do think Trey on the baseline could be crucial to helping kind of put the 2-3 zone on its heels. Mm-hmm. And working them inside out. Even with his little baby jump shot from about yeah. 10 feet out on the wing that he loves to take, if he's knocking that thing down, it's really going to provide some problems for Bayheim's defense. Yeah. And defensively, I think one thing that's going to be huge, and I don't think this is necessarily a good thing, quite frankly, this is more of a concern I have, but if he can alleviate my concerns and prove me wrong, I think we're going to win. I think that... Coach Ewing obviously likes to play a man-to-man defense most of the time, and looking at the Syracuse lineup, he's probably going to draw the assignment of O'Shea Brissett. And when you look back to what Brissett did to us 
down the stretch of the Syracuse game last year. He's him and Tyus Battle are the reason that Syracuse beat us. Brissett showed up in a big way, yeah. and he's having a good season so far. I mean, he's he's just... averaging 15, 7.5 rebounds, 2 assists, and about a steal and a half per game. But look at, dude, look at his percentages. Yeah. They're, they're whack. Yeah, they are. He's shooting a lot. He just Plus, has a lot of free throws. Yes, he does, and that's one thing that I'm a little concerned about. Mm. Uh, don't tell me Jim Beheim is going to watch tape on Trey Morning. Yeah. He's going to go to O'Shea Brissett and be like, you can take this kid to the baseline. Every single, single time. time, yeah, his footwork is not fast enough. Yeah, so that's neither is. I mean, Jesse's is faster, but still yeah. probably not. But Je- the one thing that like Jesse's gonna have to have his head on a swivel, looking to help, because quite frankly, mm. Jesse's gonna be guarding Pascal Chukwu the entire time. Chukwu <laughs> fucking sucks. Yeah, like, he's not good. Yeah, he's not a good center. Jesse's gonna eat him alive. But the key is Trey is really gonna have to keep O'Shea Brissett out of the paint, and I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. He yeah. had trouble against Nathan Kao of Richmond. <laughs> yeah. And O'Shea Brissett is a really, really talented athlete. Yeah, that's definitely true. So that's I, what I'm thinking. Yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, in that case, it might be Josh again getting a lot of burn if Trey, mm-hmm. you know, can't stay with him. See, so, a LeBlanc, Go a LeBlanc, bro, like a LeBlanc, yeah, we're going to need a heavy dosage of Josh, because Josh is a player who could really help break down the two three as well. Yeah. Like someone who's athletic, someone who's always looking to get out and transition. Yeah. Did you see him he hit a jumper last game too? A little foul line yeah. baby jumper. Yeah. I, know. I told you it looked good. Yeah, he, he has a little bit of a stroke that people don't really know. Yeah. And that's also something that's gonna be key. Our fast break is gonna have to be on point against Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Anytime we can get out and run, we should. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so that's my second that's my take. Okay. Trey Morning is gonna be key. Okay, this is my okay. This is my take. Um, I think it might be something that you already alluded to a little bit. It's not related to the basketball as much as much as the uh, Georgetown's future in the NBA. Okay. Um, I think of all of our freshmen, Josh will be the best NBA player. Wow. Wow. Okay. Talk about how his game translates. Yeah, I think if we're talking about what he is right now, he will be a great energy guy off the bench. Because one thing I noticed with him is a lot of similarities physically to one of the Knicks rookies, Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not No, not in anything in terms of height and stuff, but the, the way that they're built. Like, Josh is already, I think, about 230 pounds, but he doesn't look that big, right? So it tells me that he's able to put on a lot of weight and still be compact, mm-hmm. right? He's also got really broad shoulders, um, he's like obviously really toned and defined, and I think that helps him just keep his energy up all the time, right? And mm-hmm. play with a lot of intensity. And you know, I, I don't know why I've taken such a liking to him. We are we've already talked about at length about you know how we think you know he deserves a lot of minutes because he makes the right plays. He's always his IQ is really good. You know, as a freshman who is as young um, as you know Mac and James. Like, I, I don't think his promise is talked enough about. No, like, not. I mean, I don't think he has a good handle, but I know for a fact I've seen him shoot, and it's a pretty solid shot. Um, I think, you know, within the scope of the offense, it's, like, not really his job or not really his role to take any jumpers. But I could totally see him by, like, his junior year or maybe even next year after Jesse's gone because Omer is more of, like, a stretch big too, so Josh might actually live in the paint. But maybe his junior year just tear it up like mm-hmm. legit tear it up like I hope so. all big east i don't know that's that's my hope for him i hope so too i mean 
I, I definitely see it. I mean, quite frankly, I think he actually has a better chance than Mac and James to succeed in the NBA as well. And it's mostly just due to the physicality. Like, the NBA is morphing more and more towards a positionless league. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, James and Mac just don't have the size. They're, they're just small. You know? I mean, they do, and it's like, it sucks, because James is really good, but when I look at him, I see J.J. Barea. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't see anyone who's a difference maker. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as, tu as tough as James is, right, his shot can get a lot better. His handle can get a lot better. Mm -hmm. He's not going to grow. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it, it'll, it, there's a cap. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's a, he's a tough kid. And though. who knows? I mean, Lord willing, they get that college growth spurt. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It happens to some people. My uncle grew like five inches in college. He went from 5'10 to 6'3". Oh. I know, right? Talk about a come up. Yeah, <laughs> man. I mean, where was my growth spurt? If you're still waiting on it, don't worry. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for me, I think 5'9 is uh, where I'm done. 5'10 <laughs> with the hair. Yeah, the hair. The yeah. Hair's growing out but but you, you see my point a little bit, right? Yeah. I, I mean, do. he might not be a better college player, but I could see him as someone, you know, like second round pick, late first round pick by the time mm -hmm. he leaves, and then gets way better once he's in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I think it's definitely a. Yeah, I can internalize that. Yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. And um, it's mild. Yeah, it's mild, not flaming, but. Mild, no, no, it's something that you wouldn't necessarily think of like at the very moment. Mm -hmm. Mostly because we're just so focused on the non-conference. Yeah, schedule. I mean, I am too, but I sometimes, you know. When I when I watch like highlight tapes of Mac and James yeah. and Josh on YouTube, it's a lot of these armchair analysts saying, "Oh, he'll be a good NBA player, but it'll take three years." So it just got me thinking about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't that. think I don't think I think all of them stay at least two years. So I mean, yeah. none of them are leaving this year. I don't think any of them even leave after next year. If I'm being honest. No, they. Yeah, I don't think so. I either. think I think whoever leaves, they'll be after their junior year. Yeah. I think Mac might stay four years. Mm -hmm. I oh, Mac will stay four years. You I think so. I'm I'm. Fairly certain. I think James will stay at least three two. Mm -hmm. And if he he'll test junior, he'll probably test sophomore and junior year, mm -hmm. and then we'll, then he'll see. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so that's four takes. Do you have a last one you want to go through? Or you want me to? No, dude. If you got one, I'm here for it. All right, I'm gonna project Georgetown starting lineup opening day next year. Oh wow! Okay, let's do it. All right. At the one. <laughs> Pull it. Think we get him? I think we get him. Really? I, I think was... he's gonna like. I think he. I. The only thing that could turn him off is just that nobody. Like he chose to. He he came to a game where there were absolutely no fans because no one was on campus. Yeah, that's true. We were all at home during the Campbell game. It was the Saturday of the Thanksgiving yeah, a fact. week. Yeah. So if I'm thinking about it from my perspective, if I'm a top prospect, I want to go to a place like the Cameron Indoor Stadium. I want the Cameron crazy crazies chanting my name, yeah. and you're just not going to get that at Georgetown. But what you will get is a Hall of Fame player as a coach that has a proven track record of player development for big men. But I think the key is is him watching and seeing how this Georgetown team does moving down the stretch of the season, especially in the Big East play, mm -hmm. and the improvement that James and James and Mac have. And I think he's going to like what he sees. Because I think we're gonna like what we see. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, so I got. Some I think I think team. that's gonna sway him a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I think he's gonna come. Starting at the two, this is where things get a little interesting, in my opinion. Um, 
you can go a couple of different routes here. Um, because obviously you could slot James in, but James will probably have to take on a little bit of a different role. Because you have to ask yourself, who would be the primary ball handler in that yeah. space? Cole's also 6'3". Yeah, like Cole has size. So maybe he plays the 2. Yeah, so maybe you can start James at the 1 and Cole at the 2. Then you can start um, probably Jamarco at the 3, Josh at the 4, and then Omer at the 5. Mm-hmm. A lot of people forget that we have Omer here at 7, way yeah. in the shadows. Dude, I've been seeing him in Yates. He's pretty fucking big. He is eight. You know that he scored 91 points in, in Turkey? In Turkey, yeah. And he played fucking well last year, or the year before he transferred. It was, yeah, um, he, was um, he, he was the second option when Dennis Smith was at NC State, and then last year as the top option, he was like fifteen and seven. One of my like um, two blocks a game. One of my worst takes of all time was when I was hosting a show in uh, Northeastern DC called Blacktop TV Radio, and we were covering college basketball every single Monday for two hours. Wow, we do that's a radio show. Shit. I'm looking at the stats again. Yeah. He shot like, 57% from the field and bro. 50% from three. Yeah. My hot take, yeah, dude, wow. my hot take when I uh, was working there was that the Dennis Smith, Omer Yurt 7, NC State was going to win the ACC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rest in peace to that. Yeah, that was brutal. Man, that's that's when uh, that's when you thought Dennis Smith still cared about playing, about winning games. Yeah, dude. They, they beat Duke. Yeah, that he, he had like 25 and 10 in that game. Yeah, because like I, I watched his highlights when he was like, uh, when he was a freshman. I mean, not a freshman, a uh, senior in high school. The kid was a stud. He actually played um, Michael Porter Jr. one-on-one and beat him. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. So this is You heard it here first. Starting lineup, number one slash two, interchange of Cole Anthony, James Akinjo. Dude, three I... Three is Jamarco, four is LeBlanc. And five is Omer, the horror. You're at seven. <laughs> you gotta get better at these nicknames. <laughs> They're pretty awful. I, I know, I know. I could totally. I I got a weird butterfly feeling in my stomach about Cole Anthony too because his top six is really unimpressive for someone Listen as good as. I know he has Oregon in there. Oregon, Georgetown, UNC, Notre Dame, Wake, Miami. That is like. That's pretty garbage for a top he, five player. Where is he originally from? He is from. Uh, Jersey, I think, because he's obviously the son of uh, Greg Anthony. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna look it up right now, though. He goes to Oak Hill now in Virginia, but he went to uh, he went to uh, Archbishop Malloy in Queens. Yeah. So he actually, oh shit, he might be from Queens. I mean, he says he was born in Portland just because his dad was playing when he was born. Yeah. But um, it could be the type of thing where he just becomes uh, yeah. I mean, Briarwood, so that's in Queens. Um, it could be the type of thing where like. Land this kid, I guarantee it. Because it's, I think also too, I'm starting to watch more film on him now. You know, I remember I sent you the text, just like, he's fucking raw. But his dad is like such a big influence on him. One of the videos I saw was one of his private workouts. He was 45 minutes late. His dad fucking yelled at him for 20 minutes. Wow. Like literally, like no bullshit. Like, wow. He's, because he knows he can be better than him. Yeah. And like his dad, Greg Anthony was a solid him. NBA player. Yeah, he shouldn't um, be rolling through 45 minutes late to yeah, a workout. Yeah, yeah. And no, but like his dad also, I think has you know talked a lot about like the education aspect of college, oh. because I think I think he knows that he's gonna be a pro wherever he goes, but go somewhere, you know, you can, like, where, where, where you can bit. where you can have like a good fallback plan and like where you would be proud to not only say that you were an athlete for, but you were a student of. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, if you compare us, that's that's why I think Notre Dame's in his top six because the program now is so much worse than it was. Yeah, like and, back you know, in the that's, days, even like four years ago, 
when they made the Elite Eight. Yeah, they made the Elite Eight. I think I want to say like back to back years, right? I think they made. Yeah, cause that remember that they, that was the fucked year when like Stephen F. Austin beat West Virginia. Yeah. And then like Dayton beat uh, Kansas or no was it Stanford was the ten they beat Kansas and then Dayton beat Stanford so it was like it was like yeah, a Notre sweet si- it was a sweet sixteen of Notre Dame Stephen F Austin and like the little white dude had the tip in yes I'm gonna, yes. I'm gonna load that now we um I was very impressed by that <laughs> yeah they lost to Kentucky the Carl Anthony Towns Kentucky team yeah. and the year after they lost to UNC with Bryce Johnson and Marcus Page yeah you were a senior in high school I was a freshman in college yeah this was 2016 was yep. the Stephen F. Austin Notre Dame game oh, it was wow, the 14 that. seed against the 6 seed <laughs> in a sweet 16 <laughs> it was an overtime game right yeah it was an overtime game I remember I had right now. Notre Dame to the Elite 8 and had to lose to Kentucky I had Wisconsin winning all that year and I lost 300 bucks because uh, you know Tyus Jones decided to uh, carry the entire state of North Carolina which uh, to a title for Duke, man, like crazy times, man. I'm excited for March Madness this it's year. Be fun. But yeah, I mean, that's if you're thinking about it, I don't see how he chooses us at least over um, Miami or Wake, and Oregon. I think is honestly a pretty overrated program. Oh, it is. Um, I mean, they have Bull Bull. Yeah, I don't know how, Richard but as well. But, yeah, you know, I don't think he's going to go to Oregon. See, I think I, I, if I if he goes anywhere, I think it's UNC. I'm going to go Georgetown. See, the problem with UNC is that UNC is also a good school. Like, it's a generally it's not good bad. academic school. It's good. Um, I mean, it's good enough, right, for yeah. a pro basketball player. Like, yeah. It's is, just, though, with, uh, I just hope the visit was good. Like, with Cole Anthony, do you think he's going to be a one-and-done? I think it's two years. I think it's two years. Cause if it's two, but he's, like, like, as in, he'd be a, uh, a lottery pick after his second year, as opposed to, like, a late first or mid-first. I really hope he comes here. That would be awesome. Like, and look, I'm looking at his top 12. Top 12 to 6. Look at who he cut out. Okay. He cut out Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, and Nova to wow. get from his top 12 to 6. Wow. So I, I speak, you know, I think the education is is big. Like he's And Louisville. All five of which are better programs than Georgetown. And so he's... Better programs than most of them. He's, he's fucking... He's serious about it. Yeah. He's serious about it. I would... Dude, if he if we got him, that'd be amazing. Speaking of recruits, how is Tremont Waters doing? Oh, he's playing well at uh, LSU. Yeah, I mean, I think he's doing like okay for the most part. Um, LSU, they're a bit of an inconsistent team. Um, they're five and two. Yeah, they're five and two. What is his stat line? Oh, it's pretty garbage. Really? I mean, last year he was like sixteen and six. Um, this year he's eleven and six, but his shooting's way down. Uh, so he went from 42 to 39 percent, and then 35 to 28 on threes. Okay. Even his free throws are down. Um, he's playing the same minutes, so it might just be uh, like he hasn't gotten off the ground yet. LSU is also way better because they have a uh, Nas Reed now. Yeah, they do. He's good. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Thankfully, you know, if we didn't have James, it, I'd be feeling the loss there a lot more. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, dude, I. I, I could see Cole Anthony coming here. I could see it. I do too. And with that, you have anything else? No, that's that's a good take to end on. Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's actually let's do a little bit of a preview. We got the uh, we got the Liberty game the Liberty coming up game. on Monday. Gotta win that. Yeah. I Liberty's mean, actually a fairly good program. Really? Um, yeah, I think they're like five and one or six and one. Hmm. They're actually they're six and one. They're two and one away. Um, listen, like. 
ESPN gives us a 67% chance to win. They've only lost at Vanderbilt 79 to 70. Whoa. Yeah. They Damn. Was that was that Vanderbilt before Darius Garland got hurt? Uh, Which that also pains me so much. He's so yeah, good. He scored 33 points. Yeah. So that's yeah. a full Vandy team. Wow. That's a full Vandy team. So they they're a team. They play uh they actually play today. They play mm-hmm. today at six o'clock against Georgia State. Um, they're home. They should win that game. I, listen, I'm expecting about like a seven point win for us. Yeah, nothing crazy. Um, like a team that'll like is good enough to kind of stick with us at this point. Um, I mean, none of their players post like incredibly impressive numbers. Their mm-hmm. best player is Scotty James, who's. 6'7", he's 230-ish, and he's averaging about really only 22 minutes a game, but he's shooting 70% from the field, and he's scoring about 12, and he's getting about 9 rebounds. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, another so-called challenge for Jesse that will probably take care of. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Jesse's, Jesse's really doing a lot to boost his stock. And I think, too, in hindsight, the schedule is a lot better than we both thought it would be. Yeah, they've been um, playing decent mid-major yeah. teams. Like, not the trash teams that we played last year. It's definitely a lot better than last year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that even though they are mid-major teams, I think this is good enough. And I think it's perfect for what this team is at the moment. You know? It's like, we were playing better teams, like how Casual Hoyo always tweets out, like, oh, for our premier conference play, like, our conference, non-conference schedule is so premier, blah, 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 blah. If you, you want us playing teams, like, in the top 20 to top 10, like, between 10 and 20, not really top 10 because we get smoked by any of them, we'd still get crushed. Uh-huh. Like, we'd be losing games. Is that what you want, to see us lose games to, like, Florida State or... I, I Auburn? Know, Auburn, I yeah. yeah. Is that what you want? Nah. Or would you rather have us... Come win, like lose once or twice during a kind of a softer non-conference schedule, but be better prepared, in my opinion, for you know Big East play. I think this team has a little bit more of a killer mentality than last year's. Yeah, no, I think so, and I think they respond well to the challenge. Yes, um, you know, so in the games when we start playing good teams, right? Um, Syracuse in a week is going to be our first test. Um, actually, Illinois was our first test, but this will be another test. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we respond to it. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. That's kind of my theme of the year, I think, mm-hmm. for the team. Listen, man, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm hoping, I am hoping we can make the tournament. And actually, I want to give you a little bit of a, a little bit of an update right now. St. John's could be on their way to their first loss of the season. Really? They are down right now to Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech by nine points at halftime. Mm. Shamori Pons, though, let me tell you something. Oh, uh, he's, yeah. It's, I think it's going to be him or Govan for Big East Player of the Year. Probably Shamori, if I'm being entirely it, I think St. John's will have a better record. They, uh, Shamori Pons is 5-9 from the field right now at 16 points. What's he averaging? Like 25, right? Or Probably so? around there. He's averaging now 20, 20 points, 5 assists. Okay. Shooting over 50% I could... from the field. The thing, the thing that helps him, he's got the narrative going for him because there's like no one else on St. John's that deserves any attention. The only other Whereas person you would make an argument for is Mustafa Heron. He was the freshman uh, player of the SEC last year. Oh, he's he been dealing with a lot of ups and downs early okay. on. Okay, yeah. The thing is, it's like kind of counterintuitive, right? Because if we expect Mac and James to get better, that'll only make Jesse look 
I guess, worse by comparison. Yeah, but I think Gobert is okay with picking and choosing his moments yeah. as yeah. long as they win. You know that he wants to make the tournament. He's a team year. player, man. He's been really open about that. Yeah, and, you know, he's selfless. And I think he also understands they make the tournament, he's going to have a big game. Because yeah, that's that's, true. they need to have that's a true. big game if they want any chance true. of winning. And that'll and make that'll his draft stock yeah. is so much better you by think about a good Louis tournament Hachimura game. On a Gonzaga, yeah, how high the Japanese Giannis? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how much higher his stock went after he dominated Duke? Do you get a little bit of a national coverage and he balls out? Yeah, Georgia wins because of Jesse. Yeah, could you imagine that? Go that that could change him from being undrafted to a second round pick. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll actually be a second-round pick regardless. Yeah, I mean, he's got the measurables for it, to be honest. Yeah. And he can definitely keep losing weight, too. Yeah. Or gaining whatever he needs to do, I think yeah. he could do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We've already seen the progress. And, like, the thing is, we've even seen this with Marcus. Once you're in the NBA and you can fully dedicate yourself to it, mm-hmm. like, the growth is way higher. That's kind of my argument for Josh, too. It's like, he has, I think, more physical potential. And, you know, as soon as he gets to tap into it, it helps a lot, but yeah, yeah. We got Syracuse in a week, so hopefully our next episode uh, is coming out next Friday. Friday. Yeah, yeah. We're hoping to have a some insider interviews on the matter. Uh, hopefully, get a more in depth look at what yeah. we expect from the game. Yeah, uh, we're working on getting a player interview at the moment. We're uh, in conversation with Sports Information, so keep your uh, keep your ears open. Hopefully, we'll be getting one with more more seasoned veteran player. Uh, yeah, uh, some point this week. Yeah, totally. But uh, thank you guys again for tuning in. Uh, We appreciate all the love, all the support, all the feedback, too. We're more than willing uh, to hear anything you guys offer about ways to make the podcast better. Um, Yeah, we love everything. And, uh, yeah, we appreciate you guys giving us a shot. Yeah. Um, It's a ton of fun doing it. Yeah, honestly. Anyone ever wants to come on the show, too, just hit us up. We'd love to have you. We'd love to hear your uh, thoughts. And if you ever want to hear like a different segment or a severe conversation to focus on something, we're all ears. We're yeah. talking all things Georgetown basketball, yeah. and quite frankly, all things basketball in general. Yeah, yeah. So thanks again for your time and your ears, guys, and uh, stay classy, DC. Boy, Saxon, folks. <laughs>